Now, it was the moment all us Strictly fans, and I know there's a few of you out there, don't be afraid to admit it, that we were all dreading when Brucey announced that he was hanging up his dancing shoes from presenting the show after 10 years at the helm. Who on earth could take his place? But you see, by his own admission, he felt that it was time to hand over the baton to someone younger than him. So after much deliberation and press speculation, Claudia Wilkerman was selected to be the co-presenter. And with their sort of combinations of sort of scripted, scripted professionalism and spontaneous humour, Tess and Claudia really are a match made in heaven, at least in my opinion. You see, it's a bit of a cliché, but the show must go on. And when the format of a show is good, it almost doesn't matter who's presenting it, because it has a life of its own. Take, for example, another show, Have I Got News For You?, you see, when Angus Deaton toppled off the helm of that show in a little bit of disgrace, the producers made a very wise decision. Not to have the same presenter every single week, but to move it around a bit. A different presenter each week. And the format has worked incredibly well because the, the show is strong in itself. And this is exactly what's going on in tonight's passage. You see, on the one hand, it's about handing over the baton. Abraham, now of very advanced years, is handing over the baton to his son Isaac as the next key player in the fulfilment of God's plan. Now, this all sounds very strictly. Let's just look at where this encounter is positioned within Genesis. You see, it's sandwiched between two deaths, the death of Sarah in chapter 23 and the death of Abraham in chapter 25. See, following the fulfillment of God's promise of a son to Abraham, Abraham's obedience and being willing to give that son back to the Lord, and now the death of his beloved wife Sarah, Abraham knows that it's all about the continuation of God's work, but it's not about him. And that is why he's handing over the baton to Isaac, but his final job is to find Isaac a wife. So this is a key part of the story of Abraham. But now, let's look at the main characters in this chapter. And this is where it becomes more like, have I got news for you? You won't be surprised to hear that this is the longest chapter in Genesis, but with the least inclusion of either Abraham or Isaac. Here enter, side stage, an unnamed bit-part character in the form of a servant. A girl by a well her brother, her father, and her mother. And it is through these people that Abraham hands over the baton to Isaac. But why? Well, you see, as we've seen through this teaching series, this is not Abraham's story. It's God's. It's God's plans that will keep being fulfilled through human servants and often in spite of them. And Abraham knows this. He knows that God has masterminded every aspect of his life because it was the fulfillment of his plans. It's according to his will, and God is in complete control of the situation. He's not going to let his plans stop just because Abraham's part in the story is coming to an end. God's plan is so strong that it will not fail. But as we see in tonight's chapter, he's going to use some bit-part actors 
to ensure a match made in heaven between Isaac and Rebekah. So we're going to see how God remains at the centre of this story, moving to the next phase of the restoration of the world that he created and how he's going to use human servants in the fulfilment of his heavenly plan. So we're going to start to look at the passage through the eyes of the servant and through Rebecca and her family and see how God's plans are fulfilled through prayer, dependence and submission before we visit another place outside another town where another servant, a divine one, fulfilled God's mission. If you've got your Bible open, keep it open, page 23. You should have a batting order somewhere alongside you as well. So, verses 1 to 9 tell us that Abraham has briefed his clearly well-respected servant in very fine detail about how to find a wife for Isaac. And he sets him on his way. Now, this servant is clearly a very competent chap. But we can only wonder about the huge responsibility he felt about being tasked with finding a wife for his master's most beloved son. This is on a completely different level to looking after his flocks or managing his bank balance. So, as he prepares to carry out the task, the servant stops. And in verse 12, he prays. He prays with reverence knowing how faithful God has been to his master Abraham. But he prays with boldness too, asking big things of God. But above all, he prays. And he doesn't even get to the end of his prayer before we see God starting phase one of the matchmaking. Enter side stage, Rebecca. And unbeknown to the servant, but fully known to God, Rebecca fulfills every criteria of the wife search. She is perfect. Why? Because God's chosen her, and God has provided her. God is in charge every step of the way. Abraham knew that. The servant knows that. And that's why he commits the task to the Lord and asks for his kindness and his provision. The servant is fulfilling God's plans, firstly, in prayer. Secondly, by praying, the servant is showing that he is dependent on God to fulfill Abraham's task. And we see him acknowledging this several times. In verse 12, the servant says, make me successful today. He's recognizing that he will not be able to complete this task by his own strength, but with God. In verse 21, Having encountered Rebecca, he watches and waits to see if the Lord has made his journey successful. He waits for confirmation from God rather than rely on his own judgment. And then further, in verse 26, clear that Rebecca is indeed to be the wife for Isaac, he worships God for leading him on the journey that took him to Rebecca's family. So again, we see God in center stage in this second phase of matchmaking. It's God who's provided Rebecca. It's him who's given confirmation to the servant that she is the wife for Isaac. And it's him who's guided the servant to Rebecca's family. The servant is merely the channel through which God is working. God's plans are fulfilled through this human servant in his dependence 
on the Lord. Now, the third phase of matchmaking happens at Rebecca's house in conversation with the family. Now, they would have been used to welcoming people into their house and offering them hospitality, but handing over their, wife, their daughter uh, and sister was another thing altogether. But they listen to the servant, and as he explains his task, and more importantly, as he explains how God has been with him through this task, they simply submit to God's will. In verse 50, Laban and Bethuel, Rebecca's father and brother, say, This is from the Lord. Take her and go as the Lord has directed. Now, not surprisingly, this sort of follows this little pause where there's this sort of emotional reality check coming in here. But they still faithfully and obediently submit, culminating in Rebecca's three words, I will go. And look at the family's parting words to Rebecca. It's interesting that they are an echo of God's promise to Abraham. Yet again, God is centre stage and his plans are fulfilled as Rebecca submits to God's will. Abraham's servant, Rebecca and the family, give us a blueprint as to how we should serve God in prayer, dependence and submission so that his plans are fulfilled. They had absolute clarity that God was the star of the show, not them that he had a plan and that they were to be his servants to fulfill that plan. And in order to do so, they had to pray in confidence that God would be in charge. They had to be willing to depend on God and not rely on themselves. And they had to be willing to submit to God and sacrifice the things that mattered to them most. And I don't know about you, but that leaves me feeling incredibly challenged. Because I think sometimes we're not always as clear, I know I'm not, about who is actually in charge. And I think sometimes we have quite a distorted relationship uh, with God, or at least a view of it. Now, we were probably quite horrified last week in the reading we had when God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son to him. And yet so many times in our lives... We sacrifice God. We cast him aside. We give him a bit part role. We sort of pat him on the back, but really we we do what we want to do. And I think the big question is, do we see ourselves as God's servants? Do we see ourselves as God's servants? Put it another way. Do we see ourselves as God's servants? Servants are serving God as he fulfills his plans? Or do we merely see God alongside us as we fulfill our plans? Now, those two aspects sound dangerously similar, but they're not. If we see God alongside us, serving us as we fulfill our plans, we are making God our servant. And that's not what God requires of us. We are called to serve God in the fulfilment of his plans. Now that requires, first and foremost, prayer. And on a very simple level, that might be about more prayer. If you look at Abraham's servant, he prayed three times 
during his task. He prayed before, during, and after the tasks that he was doing. Because he could see that God was at work every step of the way, and he wanted to acknowledge that in prayer. And I wonder, how do we pray? I think if we're all being honest, none of us are yet to make a New Year's resolution which says, I need to pray less. And I might convince myself that I'm really depending on God because I've prayed to him ahead of a situation. But when that situation goes well, and after that, I pat myself on the back because it all went really well in the end, then actually what I'm doing is sacrificing God for my pride. So serving God may require more prayer. But it may also require different prayer. Prayer that isn't just a shopping list of wants, but prayer like the servant that involves listening and waiting on God. Prayer that's not just about asking for what we need, but praise for what God has done. See, the servant models to us a good prayer life. And so I want to challenge myself and all of us from this passage to honestly reflect on our prayer lives. This is not about feeling guilty, though. This is not about thinking, I need to do more. I'll add it to my endless task list. This is about acknowledging the power of prayer and what God might want to do through those prayers and achieve what we cannot achieve by ourselves. So to serve God as he uh, fulfills his plans also requires dependence. Having that clarity that God is in command and that he only wants the best for us and for his world. And that's about learning to say more often, your will be done, not mine. But that is hard in a world that praises people who are self-sufficient or omnicompetent. Being dependent on God is not a sign of weakness, but a sign of strength. And yet so often we operate from a place of weakness on our own strength when we could be strong in God's power. To serve God as he fulfills his plans also requires submission. And submission involves sacrifice. Now that could mean taking off something. A pastime that doesn't please God. A characteristic that's not godly. A habit or a trait that causes us to sacrifice God for our own gains or pleasures. Or it might mean taking on something. Giving time to somebody else. Committing to pray more regularly or in a rhythm with God. Giving money to people in need. Whatever it is, it won't be easy because sacrifice never is. But what God offers us when we submit to him is far greater than anything of our own we can ever cling on to. So tonight's passage and its big part actors have shown us three challenging requirements to be the players in God's big story as we live in this world where we constantly face a battle within between serving ourselves and serving God. And the reality is, we can't do it alone. But we don't need to, because somebody else did. And through his spirit, we are equipped to serve God in every way. So I want to take us to another place outside another town, where a humble, obedient servant also prayed three times 
depended on God and offered himself in sacrificial sacrifice. That place is Gethsemane. We're moving to think about Matthew chapter 26. Don't turn to it, but come back to it if you want to at some point. So Jesus has just shared his last supper with his disciples. He's told them that his blood is about to be poured out. He's been the humble servant who's washed the feet of his disciples. He knows that one of them is about to betray him, and one of them is going to deny him. But he also knows that all the betrayal, pain, and anguish that is about to happen is exactly as per God's plan. And as he sets off on the path to the cross, he stops to pray. Fully God and fully human, he knows that he can't fulfill God's will by human strength alone, but by divine power. We see him arrive in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he shares with his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Such was his anguish. And yet Jesus was persistent in prayer. He prayed three times. He prayed with reverence, my Father. And he prayed with boldness, if it is possible, take this cup away from me. But he also prayed with dependence on God, knowing that he was the servant in the fulfilment of God's plans. Yet, not as I will, but you will. Your will be done. He knew that God could be trusted to bring healing out of pain, redemption out of sacrifice, freedom out of capture. And when he had finished praying, he submitted himself to God's will, saying, the hour has come, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. And later, on the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had finished saying this, he breathed his last. In Jesus' humble and faithful obedience, we see clearly what it means to serve God in prayer, submission, and dependence. And we see a God who did not spare his only son because he loves the world he created and wanted to restore the relationship with his people. And only the greatest sacrifice could achieve this. Jesus' work on earth as the humble servant was done, but that was not the end of the story, as having defeated death, he returned to hand over the baton to his disciples with his commission in Matthew chapter 28, saying, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And as he promised, he did not abandon his disciples, but he sent them the Holy Spirit to be their guide, their encourager, and their counsellor. See, Jesus' death was not the end, but the beginning, and the show must go on. You see, the baton has now been passed to us as followers of Christ. We are called to serve, to fulfill Jesus' universal commission with God as our commander-in-chief. And we can only serve because Jesus has paid the price for our separation from God. You see, whilst we may still struggle with this battle within between serving God and serving ourselves, 
when we know and love Jesus and remember his sacrifice, we know that sin has been defeated. We also know that we do not serve alone because we too have been given the Holy Spirit to be our guide, our encourager and our counsellor and to be at work within us to make us more like Christ. This life is not about us. It's about God and the world that he created, the people he loves and the plans that he has. Will we obediently take up our part as dearly loved bit part actors? In God's big story, like Abraham, like Rebecca, and like Abraham's servant and the family. I want to leave us with three questions to consider for ourselves. What plans does God want to fulfill in me? His universal uh, commission of bringing more people to faith. But what's my personal commission? What does that mean for me in my school, in my workplace, in my family? in my community? What plans does God want to fulfill in me? Secondly, what will that require of me in terms of prayer, dependence and submission? Is that more prayer or different prayer? What sort of sacrifice does that mean? What does depending on God really look like for me? And thirdly, How is Jesus my saviour as I fulfil those plans? How is Jesus my saviour as I fulfil those plans? How will his sacrifice shape my service? How will his love for me be reflected in the love I have for God and for others? See, God planned a match made in heaven for Isaac and Rebecca enabling Abraham to move from centre stage. His work on earth was complete. The baton was then passed on to Isaac through human servants in prayer, dependence and submission. Now it's our turn. Are our hands open to receive the baton? Are our hearts open to receive the Holy Spirit? Are our eyes open to see what God wants to be doing. Tonight, let's recommit ourselves in the light of Jesus' sacrifice to God's service so that his plans may be fulfilled in us and through us.